I invite you to open your Bibles to John chapter 13. In many of the Pew Bibles, it'll be on page 1127. John chapter 13. once you find it, you can keep your Bibles open even after I read it. If you want, I'll be referring back to it throughout the sermon. John chapter 13, verses 1 through 20. It was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. The evening meal was being served, and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So, he got up from the meal took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, You do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then, Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, A person who has had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he had said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed. If you do them, I am not referring to all of you. I know those I have chosen. But this is to fulfill the scripture He who shares my bread has lifted up his heel against me. I'm telling you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe that I am. I tell you the truth whoever accepts anyone I send accepts me. And whoever accepts me, accepts the one who sent me. This is the word of the Lord. Our story today starts with dirty feet. 
the Jesus Storybook Bible explained it pretty well, but it's probably not something we think about very much. Do any of you remember that summer they redid the roads around our church? This would have been summer 2015, and I think they were putting in new water pipes. So both Buffalo and Spencer were completely torn up, just dirt everywhere. And every morning, they would dig a 10-foot-wide, 10-foot-deep trench, and every evening they would fill it in. So this was very loose dirt. You couldn't get from the church parking lot to the front door without getting dusty feet. Now today, we typically have the luxury of walking on paved roads in closed-toed shoes, if we choose, and not walking very far before we get in a car or on the bus. But imagine walking down Spencer that summer, it was all torn up, for six or 10 or 12 or 20 miles, maybe with some animal droppings everywhere, in sandals. That is perhaps a little closer to the context of our story today. And maybe you can imagine why foot washing was something that happened a lot. Guests were expected to bathe before coming to a meal, so when they arrived, they would just need to wash their feet. This is like how you might take off your shoes when you go inside in the winter so you don't track snow and salt all over. Typically, the host would provide some water, and guests would wash their own feet. Or maybe a servant would do it if the host was rich. But the host was not expected to wash the guests' feet. That is the setting for today's story. Jesus and his disciples have walked to Jerusalem for the Passover festival, and they're eating a meal together, and they have dirty feet. Now what we know and what, the, what Jesus knows, but the disciples do not, is that that very evening, Jesus would be betrayed and handed over to the authorities, and the next day, he would be killed. That is what is on Jesus' mind as he prepares his disciples for his departure. And this story is full of symbols and imagery that point to what Jesus is about to do on the cross. The action starts in verse 4. When Jesus gets up in the middle of the meal, takes off his outer clothing, wraps a towel around his waist, and starts touching the disciples' dirty feet. Now, come on. This is weird. It's gross. We've heard the story so many times, we're not shocked by it, but this is shocking. It's kind of scandalous. It's hard to imagine what this might be like today, but maybe it's like the school principal cleaning up after Billy pukes on his math test. Or maybe it's like the doctor helping a hospital patient to the bathroom rather than calling the nurse. Maybe it's like the bank president picking up dog poop in the dog park when the owners don't. There's no exact modern-day equivalent. It's really gross, and the person dealing with the gross stuff is the person who should be farthest from it the person with power and reputation and prestige. This is God, people. God is washing people's feet. Now look at verse 4 more closely for a moment. 
What does it say? He got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. Simple enough? Except the Greek doesn't actually say he takes off his outer robe, like we might expect. It says he lays down his robe, and after the meal he takes it up again. Do you recognize that language? Those are the same words Jesus uses in John 10 to speak about his life. He says, I lay down my life of my own accord, and I have the power to take it up again. And the Greek word for towel here specifically refers to a cloth that servants wore. It's the same word for apron. So it's not just a practical tool for drying feet. This is a visual symbol of service. In these actions, Jesus lays down the robe or the mantle of his authority and puts on the apron of service. Just as he laid down his heavenly authority to take on our humanity, and just as he will lay down his life the next day so that we might be washed from sin and clothed with the salvation of Jesus Christ. God the creator of the universe, who is good and glorious and enthroned on high, set aside that glory and entered into the particularity of our human condition and took on the nature of a servant. God, before whom angels kneel down in praise, knelt down to do the lowliest of jobs out of love. So maybe we can understand why Peter responds the way he does. There's no way in the world you're going to wash my feet. But Jesus responds, I imagine with a smile, Peter, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. This washing represents Jesus' cleansing work on the cross which frees us from the dirt of sin and secures a part in Jesus' heavenly inheritance. And like Peter, we only need to accept it. So Peter says, oh, if this is about being close to Jesus, then I'm all in. Not just my feet, but my hands all the way up to my head. Take all of me. Now in ancient Judaism, there was a ritual washing that took place before you could enter into God's presence. People would enter a ritual bath called a mikveh and would immerse themselves, specifically washing and blessing the head, hands, and feet. It was a symbol of presenting one's whole self before God for repentance and dedication. So when Peter says, wash my feet, hands, and head, it's this gesture of repentance, acknowledging that he is not clean enough or worthy enough to be there in God's presence. Peter says, make me clean. And Jesus says, you are clean, but not because of any ritual you've done, because I am making you clean. 
and not in the way you expect. Peter's request, take all of me, misses the point that Jesus gave his all for us, for Peter and you and me. And the very next day, Jesus would embody that ritual of purification with thorns in his head and nails in his hands and nails in his feet. The blood flowing from his head, hands, and feet is what has cleansed us from sin. We no longer need to wash to enter God's presence because God has come to us and washed us once and for all, and that was enough. The foot washing symbolizes Christ's cleansing work on the cross. But it also represents more than that. In verse 14, Jesus takes it a step further. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example. No servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. We are not greater than the God who calls us. And if God was willing to wash our dirty human feet, we better be willing to do that for each other. So what does that mean practically? There's no evidence that the early Christian church practiced regular foot washing rituals. They seem to understand it as a symbolic act from the start. This doesn't get us off the hook, unfortunately, because the service this symbolizes might be even more difficult than washing feet. Are there areas in your life where you can give up power or control to serve someone else out of love? Maybe it's spending time with someone at school or at work who's really hard to be around. Maybe it's inviting someone over for a meal who's not on your top five friends list. Maybe it's changing a diaper for the 9,147th time. Maybe it's offering to watch someone's kids who might need a break free of charge. How might God be calling us to be more attentive to the needs of others, even when it's difficult or thankless or tiring or just out of your comfort zone? The work God calls us to matters. And it is by being rooted in Christ that we find the strength to go through with it. Just as Jesus finds strength by being rooted in God the Father and the Spirit. To go through with his sacrifice, symbolized here by the foot washing. Look at verse 3. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power. That he had come from God and was returning to God. That is what frames this loving act. Jesus draws strength from God the Father. He knows he has all power in heaven and on earth, and yet he humbles himself in service to the disciples. Just as he humbled himself to be born in a barn, 
and just as he will humble himself to be executed as a criminal, though he was innocent, for the forgiveness of our sins. And why does he do this? Verse 1 tells us, Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. This is an act of love. This is not sacrifice for the sake of sacrifice or humiliation for the sake of humiliation. This is an act of holy love. For God so loved the world, God gave God's only son. Later in this chapter, Jesus gives his disciples a new command. Love one another as I have loved you. Foot washing is an act of service motivated by love, which symbolizes the cleansing from sin that Jesus achieves on the cross and sets an example for us to follow. But there's one more thread woven throughout this chapter that we can't ignore. Did you notice how this whole passage is sprinkled or or perhaps splattered with thoughts of the betrayer? Already in verse 2, we are told, the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Judas is there. Jesus washed Judas's feet. Then in verse 10, Jesus tells Peter, You are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him. That was why he said not everyone was clean. Jesus knew Judas was about to betray him, but Jesus washed Judas's feet. And in verse 18, after Jesus says, you will be blessed if you do this, he continues, I'm not referring to all of you. I know those I have chosen. But this is to fulfill the scripture. Those who, the one who shared my bread has turned against me. That's a quote from Psalm 41. Judas had turned against him, but Jesus washed Judas's feet. Now there are multiple ways to read verse 18. You could read it as, I know the ones I have chosen and Judas wasn't really one of them. But in John 6, Jesus says, have I not chosen you the twelve, yet one of you is a devil. It appears that Jesus did choose Judas The other way to read it is, I know the ones I've chosen. As in, I know their character. I know that Judas will betray me, even though I have chosen him. I know Judas is a traitor, but I have chosen him so that scripture might be fulfilled. Jesus did not blunder by letting Judas into the circle of the twelve. One commentator I read put it this way. Christ does not cause the evil, 
but meets evil with gracious actions, finally turning evil towards God's saving ends. The circle of people whose feet Jesus washed out of love included Judas, who was going to betray him, and Peter, who was going to deny him, and others who were going to desert him. Jesus loved and served even those who were not going to return it. Just as Jesus died for those he knew could not pay him back. And friends, we don't get to draw the lines that determine who's in and who's out. Jesus welcomed sinners into his innermost circle. Sinners he knew he would be hurt by. And in the face of his own unjust death, rather than condemn them, he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Many of us are familiar with Psalm 23, which says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. In this vision of God's kingdom, the enemies are not over there somewhere, drooling at a feast they can't enjoy. In this vision of God's kingdom, your enemies might be sitting right across the table from you. God sets the table. Our enemies are not God's enemies, and we don't get to exclude Another preacher I know once said that every time we build a wall, we can be sure God is busy loving the people on the other side of it. I'm going to say that again. Every time we build a wall, we can be sure God is busy loving the people on the other side of it. We don't get to exclude. We don't get to exclude on the basis of race or ethnicity, or language, or sexuality, or age, or ability, or apparent sinfulness. In fact, we were all once enemies of Christ through sin. And Jesus has made us friends by his death and resurrection. God will judge rightly, maybe in ways that shock us, but we don't get to make that call. Jesus knew Judas was not clean, but he washed his feet anyway. And the very next day, he gave his life up for all of us, as unclean in sin as we are. It was the same Jesus who said, Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. And to be clear, loving your enemies does not mean submitting oneself to abuse or oppression. It means we are called to show love, even to those we don't like. It means the circle of people whose feet we are called to wash or whom we are called to serve might include our enemies or those we don't want to be around. And washing their feet might mean getting our hands dirty or our reputation dirty. Whose feet might you be least inclined to wash? Whom do you least want to serve or get close to or spend time with? 
Who would be the last person you'd invite over to dinner or into church for fear of what they've done or might do or because getting close might dirty your reputation? Jesus ends this passage by saying, Very truly I tell you, whoever accepts anyone I send accepts me, and whoever accepts me accepts the one who sent me. There is hardship in this world. There is pain and suffering and evil, and you don't need me to tell you that. But we also have a God who was willing to enter into the pain and suffering and to wrench things around from the inside. May we also be willing to let ourselves be made uncomfortable for the sake of Christ. Let's pray together. God, Give us the grace and the strength and the love to accept every visitor or stranger, every friend or enemy as Christ himself, to kneel down and wash their feet with love, even as Christ has washed us clean by his death and resurrection. Amen. I invite you to rise in body or in spirit. And let's sing as one our song of response.